So I have been a huge fan of Truniagen for years, and that's why I am super excited to share that I've recently began partnering with them. I literally don't miss a day taking it. And if I were to only take one supplement, this is the one, and here's why. Our bodies produce a molecule called NAD, which is critical for our cellular energy and repair, but the levels sadly decline as we age. A nutrient that can help increase our NAD is a form of vitamin B3 called nicotinamide riboside, otherwise known as NR. It is the most efficient way to get this is through this Truniagen because it's the best NAD precursor around. Truniagen helps support our bodies against everyday stressors that can really damage our cells like overeating, drinking, staying up too late. In my opinion, no one is too young to take it. I wish I knew about this in my early 30s. And what's most amazing is that Truniagen is backed by 18 clinical trials and has endorsements of two Nobel Prize winning scientists. So go check it out at truniagen.com. That's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N. And we have a special offer for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $100 or more using the code HUSTLE20. So definitely run, don't walk, and scoop some up now. Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on the podcast, we have Torre Roberts. Torre is a best-selling author, a businessman, a pastor, producer, and an influencer of all influencers. Torre is mostly known for being the founder of one of the most influential faith and empowerment congregations in the world called One. His modern and cerebral approach to faith has attracted thousands to his physical campuses each week pre-COVID and has garnered Torre a massive online campus of over 700,000 subscribers and of course over 100 million views to date. Torre's audiences tune in to experience transformational teachings on faith, purpose, wholeness, potential, and relationships. Torre's reach is further extended through a weekly podcast that generates over 200,000 downloads per month, along with a combined social media audience of over a million people. Torre is the son-in-law of the prominent pastor, businessman, T.D. Jakes, and his wife is the very popular Sarah Jakes. They are a family of a lot of faith, of empowerment, and true soul. I had a really wonderful time speaking with Tori. I didn't think that our conversation was going to be as in-depth and as long as it was, but it was super meaningful, very honest, and a really a joy to speak with him. I really hope that you enjoy the podcast as I enjoyed speaking with him. And please leave me a comment and let me know your thoughts after the episode. Thank you. Enjoy. So today <laughs> we have Torrey Roberts. He is the founding pastor of The One Church, which is one of the most influential faith and empowerment congregations in the entire world. Is that correct? It is. Is that correct? Yeah, only because it's here in L.A., so oh, okay. it's not the biggest, but the reach because of those who come and those who subscribe to it um, makes it influential. So it's influential city plus influential people come there. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's part of it. The other part of it is online. We have so many, we have like over 700,000 
uh, subscribers to our How channel. How many? Uh, 700,000 subscribers to our channel. On YouTube, right? That oh, yeah. was her, Yes, of course. I saw that. I couldn't believe how many that is. Yeah, it's a lot, it, and which is a whole nother, how did that even happen? You know, it's crazy. Well, first of all, I want to start by saying this, before we started this podcast, when I was asking you, how do you even become a pastor? I'm yeah. Jewish. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I want mm -hmm. you to tell me that whole thing. But I was saying that for those who don't know, your wife uh, also is a pastor, Sarah, mm -hmm. uh, and your father-in-law, who is super famous. Yeah. Uh, T.D. Jakes, mm -hmm. and I was under the assumption that you kind of became a pastor through him, like that mm -hmm. you met Sarah, and they kind of brought you into the business, yeah. and you or you said, no, 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 actually, like, that's absolutely not what happened, yeah. so I want to really start by your backstory, <clears throat> like, how you started, then yeah. how you kind of became, like, this, this family affair unit. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. Great story. Okay, yeah. go ahead, you're on. So um, so I my background is business and technology. So before the faith world, before the spiritual world, I used to build data centers for Fortune 100, uh, Fortune 500 uh, companies. And so um, that was me, I was very successful. From that, I started my own company that was a complimentary service to the corporation that I was working for. That company took off and made me more money than the corporation that I was working for. And so things were fantastic and great externally, but internally, I was a mess. Um, in all honesty, I've always been a good person, but uh, I was pretty full of myself. And, uh, and I just wasn't, I, I was puffed up and, and proud. Uh, and so I had a spiritual awakening. Uh, I was 26 years old, I had a spiritual awakening. And ultimately for me, it was... What you know, was this? Why? What what kind of what was the kind of the, the catalyst? The catalyst, yeah. yeah. So I was married, and uh, and my marriage was falling apart, mm. and uh, and we got separated, and we were splitting up. And I said, "All right, you know, my family was my stability. I was still crazy and wild and doing stuff that you know a married man shouldn't do." To be honest with you, I was young in my twenties. Uh, no excuse, but it's just it is what it is. And um, so if my my family structure, my stability was going to be disrupted, my conscience said, hey, you, you better try to get close to God. You better really try to get yourself together spiritually because, you know, you know, karma, you know, is, is, a, is a monster. Is a bitch. Is a bitch. I mean, you, can, can you swear? Are you allowed I can, to? I'm a grown man. Yeah, I'm a grown <laughs> I'm a grown amen. <laughs> so um, you could swear if you want. For sure. Okay. Because yeah. you see, I would, see, I would think that you wouldn't be able no, to. No, no, I was a person before I was a pastor. Yes, that's true. And I will always be a person. And to be honest with you, my audience are a bunch of cussers. Really? Okay. Yes, yes. Um, well, who is your audience? Like, who are the... Yeah, I mean, it, it's diverse, but but a lot of young people, a lot of millennials, my, my average uh, follower, if you would, is between 25 and 49, 70% um, oh. female, 30% uh, male. Uh, they're young professionals. Uh, locally, many of them are in entertainment. They're in the business. And uh, and I think for the most part, they're people who maybe wouldn't subscribe to uh, traditional um, faith, mm -hmm. a traditional expression of faith. They're, 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 they're influencers, they're, they're culture shakers, and they just want something that's real. They don't mind faith as long as faith is big enough to fit their lives. Right. Uh, and so- I hope I answered that question. That, no, no, because that's what I was saying earlier. You wrote, I should say also, Tori wrote a book called Balance. This is your third book. We yes. were going to talk all about it after. Um, and what I found to be really 
nice and delightful, I guess, was what, while I was reading it was that it is very mainstream. It's for people, you don't have to be super religious or one, like very Christian or very this or very that. I mean, there's something, your teachings and what you do is very much... Uh, it can resonate with lots of different people. But mm -hmm. anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So continue. So you're having this life this, crisis, this basically. This life crisis. And so I started um, really seeking God. And, and the only you know interpretation of God I had was my mom's church. And so, mm -hmm. um, but the only thing is my mom's church was very small. Um, and I don't mean small uh, in number, although that would probably be accurate. Uh, they were small in their perspectives and so I couldn't go there, but I said, all right, it, and it was a Christian church. Let me try at this other church that I felt like was, it was more young. The guy was older, but he was drawing young people. And I started sitting in that church and it was like every message he was talking to me. You know, it was like, wow. You ever, I don't know if you've ever had that happen where you're somewhere and somebody's speaking and what they're saying is resonating deep within. And for me, the message was clear. This was over about a seven month period. Uh, you need to really you know, give your life to God. You really, you need to really prioritize your spirituality. And, and I did that. I, I didn't think that it was going to be anything more than me just practicing my spirituality. But when I started talking to people about my spirituality, it was having an effect on them. And, uh, and so I didn't really choose ministry. Ministry was kind of like the organic overflow of what was happening in my life personally. Uh, and then I did have a moment where I felt like this divine calling. Um, I mean, that, that's a long story, but ultimately through a series of dreams, uh, the message was clear. You have to love people the way that you love your firstborn child. And you have a gift to communicate to people in a way that unlocks the gift that they have that they just don't know it. So again, that was a whole ordeal. That would be a whole other podcast to tell you how that unfolded. But um, but so you're having dreams, though, you were saying, like, yeah. I know you don't want to go like go that deep into the weeds, yeah. although I now I'm super interested. OK, I, we could do it. Yeah. Uh, but so you were that's kind of what that was like, kind of the precipice. You were having these dreams about mm -hmm. that. And then that said, OK, I'm going to pivot to becoming putting myself in the ministry. Is that basically? Yeah, I was having these dreams. And what were you seeing in the dream? Oh, God. Well, I'll tell you this one dream. So um, I'm in the dream. It's me and my daughter. And uh, well, first, prior to that scene, um, in the dream, I'm taken up. I, I ascend at a high rate of speed, and then I come to a, a, a halting stop. It's just a stop. But prior to stopping, I burst through this, this cosmic clear film. And then when I got there, it was like I knew everything. There was nothing I did not know. It was strange. Like I had just total knowledge. And, uh, and then cut to me and my daughter, my firstborn child, her name is Lauren. And in the dream, she had a gift, she could fly, but she didn't know that she had this gift. And so in this dimension, there was a whole bunch of hordes of evil people or beings, whatever they were, creatures, and they were coming to get us. And my response to it was to tell Lauren, I said, baby, fly, baby, fly. And she's like, dad, I can't fly. I'm like, yes, you can. And I believed in her wings. And I'm like, baby, you can fly. She's like, no. I said, just put out your, I put out your wings and fly. And she is lifted up and we both are lifted up and we're saved from this horde. And so that happened a few times. And so, and I, I woke up and I'm sweating and I'm crying. I feel deeply moved by this dream. 
And when I really saw like the interpretation of the dream, it was clear. First of all, you have to love every human being the same way you love your firstborn child. Two, you can't fly. You don't have wings. Your gift is to speak to, your gift is to see the wings that other people have and to communicate. You, have, you can compel their wings and they will fly. And as they are lifted up, you will be lifted up. And uh, it was uh, so very, very profound dream. And it's been that way. When I, when I see people, I mean, first of all, loving on that level is not easy, but, but I practice it. You know, I, I practice. I don't care if you're homeless on the street. You know, obviously evil people are kind of hard to love. And I'm still a work in progress on that. But, um, but just because you're struggling, you, you've had misfortune in your life or you've done, you know, you just haven't been the best person. I'm very compassionate. So that's a gift. But I've seen that. I, I've seen when I see people, I just see their wings. Like, and, and so, you know, from the books that I write to the messages that I, that I share, it's all about me speaking to what's in you. And I just know, I just know it's in there. And if, and if you'll listen, and if we spend time together, if you'll listen, there's going to be something in what I say that unlocks your wings. And as you're lifted, I'm lifted because I've got to. I've got to do what I do. That's the calling. So before before this dream and before you were 26 mm -hmm. and all this, this never like this was never even occurred to you to be involved in oh, anything like this. Absolutely not. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Jennifer. If you would have come to me 25 years ago and say, "Hey, Torre, you know, I I just discern that you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be a minister," I would have laughed uncontrollably, um, asked you what you were smoking and where I might be able to get some. <laughs> exactly, right? It was, it was like that. No, I never saw it. Um, ironically enough, I, I used to want to be a child psychologist when I was very young. Oh, okay. And so, but I, I went into business. And so it's, it's, it's a strange journey, uh, the way that, that life takes you. But you, you said those, you said a couple of things that was interesting, like that to be, doing this, you have to love everybody else. Like you love your firstborn. Yeah. You have to, who says all these, is this what yeah. you say? Or did that, did that oh. is that what happened in the dream? Or did someone tell you that? Or no, this is that, and this is my calling. I, I don't think that that's a universal approach to calling, but in the dream, when that's I, that's what they were, that's what that's that, the feeling. Oh yeah. It, it was good because I'm like, what's the significance when I'm, I'm really questioning, you know, God, you know, my, my interpretation of God, what is, what's the significance of, you know, I get my gift to communicate, you know, to see the gift. I get the person has the gift and they can fly. And I, I said, but what, why did you use my first born child, my daughter? I mean, I just, you know, mm -hmm. she just got, I just married her, you know, right. sent her away. She's away. But why did you use her? And he was like, think about it. Why do you think I would use her? And I thought about how I feel about her. I, I love, I love all my kids. At the time, I only had two I only have my two daughters. We have six combined now. Um, but, and I love both. You know, my daughter, Taya, who is, was the middle child, I love her immensely. But there's something about your firstborn, the one that brings you into fatherhood, the one that changes your life. The moment that I knew she was coming, my life changed uh, immediately. And so he's like, it's plain. Look, think about how you feel about her. You love her. You love her unconditionally. You believe in her. You want to protect her. You want to see her prosper and thrive. If you love everybody I send you like that, you're going to be an incredible leader, incredible spiritual leader. 
it, do you hear voices or is it just like, it, like what, that's what I'm trying to get. Like, oh yeah. I, like, yeah. Do you, like what, what do you hear? Is it a, just a feeling? Is that's it like so an good. intuition? Yeah, it, it could, it happens several ways, but the best way for me to describe it is it's a knowing, you know, I, I think that, you know, and, and again, this is my, my interpretation, but if our creator gave us ears to hear, uh, a nose to smell, eyes to see, hands to have tactile experiences, then why would he not create us with an organ of perception, some sort of ability to perceive things that are that transcend the natural realm? Uh, and so I, I call it my knower, and, and you know, some I call it an instinct or what have mm. you. But once you cultivate that, we'll call it an instinct. Once you sense something. Um, for example, here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of times you'll feel something, you'll sense something, and maybe it's, I should act on something or not act on something. And then you don't act on it or you do act on it. And you realize, wow, man, that was, that was bigger than me. I felt like this might happen, but I didn't respond. And this is the outcome I got. And so there is this kind of like a trial and error. You develop that organ of perception. And, and sooner or later, you just know to call it God, to call it divine, because once you begin to trust it and, and step out in it and employ it, it leads you to spaces and places that transcend coincidence. You know, a lot of, a couple of people I know who are not, who don't do what you do, but they think that they are intuitive and mm -hmm. they are vibrating, I guess, at a different mm -hmm. level. Um, or a different dimension, or, or, or the different dimension. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's how they would describe it, but it's very hard to wrap your head around it because they say that we're in dimension three. Do you know this whole thing about dimension? Mm. Oh, okay. I that's, that. that's a, that really is a whole other podcast. Okay. Okay. But, but I guess my, my point is, do you believe then like if you are, you, you felt that feeling, you were like, do you feel like you're vibrating at a different place? Oh, and yeah. like you're more, and also you're doing it because you are, um, acting on that gut intuition mm -hmm. versus ignoring it. I think a lot of people ignore those those feelings and they just push them down or they get distracted. Yeah. What made you not dis get distraction, dis sorry, get distracted mm -hmm. or or uh push them down? What made you act on those? Because they worked. It worked, you know. Um when I didn't do it and now that intuitiveness I do kind of remember that from being a kid. You oh, know, you do? Okay. I, I do kind of remember like, you know, I would sense, you know, hey, something's going on, something, something's getting ready to happen. You know, I grew up in a, in a, a challenging neighborhood. I grew up in Watts. So, you know, I was started in East Oakland, grew up in Watts. And there would just be, you could just feel like something's going to happen. I'm like, hey guys, I'm out of here. And then you'd hear the next morning there was a shooting or something really? like that took place. Or you're at a club. I, it's a club, of course. And, you know, you had a club and you just feel like, man, something is weird here. You know, Sunset, Roxbury. I used to do all that here in right, LA. Right, of course. You know, and um, so so in hindsight, I remember that. But this is different. And I think that you you begin to trust it because- it never disappoints. It's it's um, it, it almost becomes unnatural to to op to suppress it to um, to ignore it, um, and so it's the fruit of following it or the pain of not following it that that really uh, puts you in a place 
to trust it. Also, because like you you were just saying, which is a good segue to your background, like you were grew up in Watts, you said, weren't you involved in uh, shooting also? Like, didn't you get shot by yeah. a drive-by sh- a shooting? I, I did. And so in that area, you know, I was blessed because my, my fa- I had a great family, thank God. Mm, that makes um, a big difference. Yeah, had a great family. Um, and the street that I lived on was safe. It's like, there was like drugs on the next street, you know, uh, shootings on another street. But like for some reason now, I believe it's God's protection. But for some reason on my street, it was safe. But, you know, if you leave your street, and that's what I did. I, I um, My mom always told me like, look, you can use my car at 16, but just don't have anybody in the car. And, and I'm like, mom, what do you know? I, I can have somebody in the car. Well, the guy that I had in the car was gang affiliated. And so, so we're out driving and, you know, he gestures at some guy and these guys are grown. I'm 16 and they just pull out a gun and start shooting. And uh, so at 16 years old, yeah, I got, I got shot and nearly died. And, um, where did they shoot? Where did they get you? They shot me in the, kind of in the back, in the shoulder area and the, and the bullet went forward and lodged in my esophagus. And so my esophagus is ruptured. I'm spitting up blood. I'm thinking, oh, I've seen this in the movies. I'm dying. Oh my gosh. You know, and uh, and it, it was traumatizing. And at 16, quite frankly, I prepared myself to die. And I remember being in the hospital. My mom, you know, came in the hospital and I just said, mom, you know, I'm sorry. You know, you told me not to have anybody in the car and I did. And here I am. And I said, but mom, don't worry. You know, if I die, you know, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm trying to encourage my mom. And, uh, and she wasn't having that. And, you know, she prayed for me. And the next thing you know, supernaturally, uh, I was healed. The bullet moved, uh, which it's a whole other story, but it, it lodged itself in a safe place. And, um, and, you know, I was back on my feet. But it was a, it was a lesson. You know, maybe that lesson was, maybe that one was less about intuition, but more about listening to your mama, boy. Yeah, right. Mama knows best, boy. <laughs> I was going to say, next time yeah. you're going to listen to your mom. Exactly. And I do today, by the way. You do? Okay, yeah. good. That's good. I like to hear that since <laughs> I have a mom to a little boy. Um, so then then how did you, so what was, what was the next thing? Like, so do you go to school for this? Like, what yeah. do you practice? Because, you know, like you have to write these terms. Like, how do you, how do you start this thing where now you have like almost a million people following you on uh, on YouTube with this mm. and you have a congregation and what, like, what do you do? Like, what's the process then? Now, you know, you have a gift or you have a calling or a knowing mm-hmm. then what? So it, 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 it depends based on the denomination, what the requirements are. But for me, what happened was I discovered my gift. I discovered that, wow, you know, this is happening to me. And as I'm sharing this with people, their lives are changing. Now I'm a business person. I, I can't, you know, remember I, I was brought up in business. So I, I'm thinking structure. How do I get the biggest impact from my effort? You know, this is great to sit around a coffee shop and talk to your friends right. or whatever, but like that's time and energy and effort. And, and I just want to have a big impact. So the business guy in me said, you got to create a space. You know, now I didn't even know it was a church. I didn't, I didn't come up really around the church. My mom, you know, was around Eastern, you know, all that kind of right. stuff. But I didn't know the the business of church. I didn't know the structure of church. I didn't care about any of that. I'm like, listen, I've got this gift. I've, I've got this attraction. People are attracted to me and their lives are changing. So I went out and I got, I rented out a hotel room in Culver City. You know, and, uh, you know, put my money, own money in. I didn't know that, you know, that that you can be a nonprofit and the people can. So I, I didn't care. I want to reach people. So I took my money. I start, you know, I start in this hotel room and I just, you know, I, I created flyers. You ought to see this first flyer. It was so pathetic. I was in business, not graphic design. It was <laughs> 
it, it was atrocious, and I, I'm, I'm embarrassed now. I'm, I'll show you one. Okay, show I'll, it to I'll me. I'd like to see it. Yeah. But uh, but I just started, and uh, on the first day, eighty people came to the hotel to, to, the, to hotel. the hotel room. And what did you do? You just did like a speech. I stood up, gave a speech. You know, asked who wanted to join this this movement, and you know, and what was it called? Uh, it was called Saints. It was a, a corny name. I changed it, but it was called like Saints United. And ultimately, what that meant to me was. You know, saints is kind of a church term, you know, you know yeah. saints and which is, anyway, that, I'm sure people love that and I don't want to be dishonorable. Uh, but United was, my thing was all about unity. I saw, you know, I, I, you know, I was born in Oakland. Oakland's a very diverse city. Um, I grew up in LA. LA is a very diverse city. But I did notice in the church space, it wasn't really diverse. You know, you had, you had black churches, you had white churches. You didn't really have, you have it now, but I didn't see a lot of that. So I wanted diversity, not just in ethnicity, but in, you know, in socioeconomic posture. I wanted people with diverse thought. I just wanted, I just felt like God's kingdom is this big, beautiful, diverse kingdom. Uh, or else I, I couldn't serve a God who wasn't diverse. It was just, everything had to be just this Right, I, 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 that would be very short lived for me. So that's why that's where it was. It as a Saints United Ministries, and did I, people did you charge people to come to the hotel room? No, or no, it was just free for everybody. Free for it? everyone except me. Exactly, except <laughs> right. you, right? Who, yeah. who paid for the hotel room? Exactly. And then how long do you speak? How long do you speak for? So did that you, was. Um, did you have a speech? Four, yeah, I had a speech. It was probably about half an hour, half forty minutes. Uh, I had someone sing a song, you know, and uh, and then I, you know, who wants to join? Who wants to be a part of this? Uh, and a few people joined. One of my best friend for now 30 plus years, he was like the first person, you know, Kenny is my friend. He's a, you know, a biracial, he's black and Mexican. And he's like, uh, you know, I'll go with you. And he's been with me until this day. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's, it started like that. And I meet hotel rooms. And then for a long time, honestly, it didn't grow. You know, it stayed, you know, small for two years. Uh, and then I felt, you talk, talk about intuition, I felt like I was supposed to move it. It was in Culver City to North Hollywood. Didn't know why. Why do I go to North Hollywood? And most of the people, the, the whopping, you know, few dozen people who were coming all lived, you know, um, south of the 10 freeway. And I said, hey, guys, you know, I feel divinely inspired to uproot here and plant in North Hollywood. Uh, and that didn't go over very well. You know, because the mentality, right. Valley, that's just, it's like you're in another state. Right. So I did it. And when I planted that church in North Hollywood, it exploded. It, really? It, just by changing location. Where you are is so important. And uh, it, it exploded and took off and became what it is today. Well, so how did you get, so it, I went from having... 80 or 25 or whatever people what <laughs> yeah. was it how did you with the flyers too they just started to come more and this was interesting because you my background was business you know and, and and marketing so i created this nice flyer i did all the work i did you know data you know data on the community i was doing data back before people were thinking about data this right. is 2004 you know and and i who's here what's their age what are they like and based on that i put together this awesome flyer into this major mass thing and nobody showed up. I don't think one person from that out from that outreach effort showed up. And um, and I felt like, God, how did I fail in this? And I really felt God say, "This is not going to happen by human effort. This is not going to happen because you're so smart and you've got this back background in business and marketing. That's all cute, but I need you to know that what I'm going to do, I'm going to do." And so I stopped doing that, and people just started walking in off the street. 
and uh, just, you know, I just set up shop, did my thing and people started coming. So you stopped all the marketing, you yeah. stopped all the flyers yep. and they just started to walk, like walk in the door. They literally started walking the door. <laughs> and here's a funny story. So, so even though I was different, I was fresh and I was, you know, I, I was, I had a different approach to faith than what congregation looked like. It was very, it was not, I thought it wasn't conservative, you know, um, now I realize it actually was more conservative than I thought it was. Uh, but conservative for me would be, you know, you're in there with your shirt and your yeah. tie or whatever. I didn't have a shirt and a tie, but I did have my dockers and my <laughs> braided belt yeah, yeah, and yeah, my yeah, loafers, hilarious. you know, yes. and a blazer. And so this young guy comes in there and this guy's got on jeans and he's got on a t-shirt. This is 2004. He's got Chuck Taylor's on jeans and a t-shirt and he comes in and he sits in the back. And I'm like, this is a peculiar sight in the house of worship. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> this guy's right. got on jeans. So he, he leaves out and he comes back and he brings about four people with him. And guess what? They're all in jeans t-shirts, chucks, you know, male and female. And, uh, and I'm like, this is strange. So after service, he walks up to me and he's like, and he talks real fast. This guy's name is Brian Kennedy. If you Google him, he's a major music producer, Rihanna, Chris What's Brown. What's his name? Uh, Brian Kennedy. Brian Kennedy. Okay, yeah. I'll look it up after. Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, anyway, so, so, but he wasn't at the time and he comes in and then he comes up to me after service. He talks real fast. He slowed it down now. But his pastor was really great. Pastor really touched me, you know. And I, you know, I play keyboards, and you know, if you ever need somebody in music, you know. And I'm just looking like, okay. So you know, when someone's talking fast, you start talking fast with them. You know, I'm nodding my head with them. And and so he leaves. Then he comes back with a row full of young people, and they're all young. They're talented. They're beautiful. They're gifted. And I'm like, okay, something is happening here. And then that's kind of when the pivot changed because as I got to know them, many of them were talented gifted and beautiful, but they were in bad situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, even professionally, Brian was, um, and I want to say this carefully because uh, he was working for a producer who they were music producer. They were very hot at the time. I mean, if I name some of the songs that they did, they, you would know them, but the deal was, the deal that they were putting before him was pretty oppressive. Mm -hmm. uh, he was better than that deal. And so he, I took him to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. <laughs> Let me know if I'm going too long. Just like kick me or something no, like that. No, I okay. think this is interesting. Okay. So I take him. I like these like backstories because it makes people, I, it makes, I, I think it kind of like paints the proper picture, like versus little snippets and people don't understand. This is true. Yeah. So I take him to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles and I'm like, let me see the deal. And so he showed me the deal. And I said, Brian, it's, it's, it's not, it's not worth you. You know, and I told him my reasoning why, and he had to make a decision. Now, for some, it looked like the deal of a lifetime. You get to work with these producers. They're going to let you produce. You know, right. they've got all these hits. I'm like, Brian, you can do something on your own and avoid. And this is before the 360 deals, all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff that the labels are doing. Now, this is before that. And uh, so he did. He took my advice. He got out of that situation. And then he, uh, Rihanna Disturbia, he produced that. You know, Chris Brown forever, he produced that. His career takes off. He he was writing for Faith Hill, um, The Rascal Flats, I mean, Natasha Bedding. I mean, just just name it. He's wow. And, and he's just blowing up. And um, and there so there were a lot of stories like that. And because these people had influence, they were bringing people right. to the church. And the church took off. And the fastest growing demographic at that time was young Hollywood. But the reason why I bring it up, particularly as it relates to them being in bad situations. So I'm thinking about this other girl named Natasha and Natasha was gorgeous. I mean, just a beautiful girl, but her self-esteem was like in the tank. And I'm like, Natasha, you're, you're gorgeous. 
you're bright, you know? And so I got like, I got a little pissed at the industry, to be honest with you, because I'm like, here are the young people that are, they're moving from all around the world to come here because they're talented. And they were just abusers in the space, you know, and they were oppressing them and, you know, and making them feel less than who they are. And so my message began to be shaped by who was coming. Who was coming. And so God gave me language for young Hollywood. And I started talking to them and it would be their lifeblood. I talked about identity. I talked about, you know, value, worth, affirmation, you know, purpose. And, um, and it just, it just exploded. And, and so that's kind of the, you know, that, that's really how it happened. And what happens to Natasha? Natasha's doing great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. She, what's she doing, doing now? What she's an actor. She's an actor. She's doing great. Is um, she very successful? Would I know who she is? I guess very, not. I, I wouldn't call her very successful, but you know what? She's, she's, she's successfully emotionally. You okay, know, good. Like, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a, as a human being. Yeah. And she is doing, uh, I mean, she's, she's doing well, but I, I, there are people in our church that are much more public than her. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, I did, um, there was a show, we, we sold a television show to ABC in 2019 based on my life. It was a sitcom. Uh, the studio, ABC studio bought it. And, uh, we a sitcom? Were, a sitcom. That's hilarious. Yeah, I love yeah, it. A sitcom based on me and, and, uh, and Sarah and, and, uh, but the guy who brought the idea to me, his name is Leslie Odom Jr. He, he's, uh, you know, Emmy, uh, Grammy, you know, Emmy, no, Tony, Emmy. Anyway, he's got some stuff. I can't remember I think what. He's, a, he's one of the guys on your book, right? Yeah, he, Tony and Grammy award-winning actor and singer. He is. I had no idea he was sitting in my church. You know, he was there before, you know, anything. You know, and now he's, you know, doing movies and traveling. He was uh, in, uh, why is the, the yeah. Broadway? Hamilton, yeah. <laughs> he did that. You know, he did Hamilton. He went all over the world. He's a musician. He and just he hosted Hamilton the, as what, an actor or? Oh, uh, amazing in Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah he's. But I had no idea he's sitting in my church the whole time while he's a quote unquote nobody and being affirmed and, you know, and, and who he is. And so, you know, I'm not taking credit for his career. No, no of course you know. not. But you're saying. And so he comes to me and he's the one that opened the door to do this show that, you know, we did successfully sell the pilot to ABC and it was a put pilot. So, you know, the network spent, I, I can't tell you how much, but a lot of money to do this pilot. And we were literally, our bags were packed uh, in April of 2019 to go to the upfronts to sell this show. Yeah. At the very last minute, although the studio bought it and produced it, network said we're not taking it to series. Why? I don't know. It, we were all devastated. It was me, Leslie, Kerry Washington was an executive producer on it. Uh, it she was, was attached to oh, it yeah, too. Yeah, she's got a deal at the studio at ABC. I at know. ABC, and yeah, she was attached to it. At the very last minute, uh, network said, "No, we're not going to do it." It was. I mean, if you Google it now, all the trades were like, "This is going. This is happening. This is a show to look for," and all this sort of stuff. But it, it was all God's design. One. COVID was not knocking on the door. None of us knew it. Right. So God only knows if we would have got stuck in development hell or whatever. It just, you just never know everything for a reason. But was it, was it already kind of canceled before it was started, before COVID started in 2019? Correct. Yeah. So even before COVID, it was already COVID, like, it, it was, was already, they, do you, you have no idea why they decided? They, they thought. After spending that kind of money and having her attached? They, they didn't think that it tested well. I have, you know, I, I don't, testing is tricky. Because you got to know your audience to test. You can't just put a show out there. I, you know, it, it's almost like my church is very unique. I, I, my church may not do well 
honestly, in the Bible Belt. You know, because right. it's just, I'm just different. I'm built differently. My language is different. So if you're going into the Bible Belt to, and I'm not saying that's what, that's that, what they maybe did. Maybe that's what they did, though. Yeah, testing is like, it's, no, it's, you, you gotta, anyway, listen. But why don't you take it, not like the, you oh. mean like career strategy advice for me right now, yeah. but I should give it to you after, but why Come don't on. you take it somewhere else? Like Amazon, Netflix, do we, it yourself, pay for it yourself, and then sell it. Like we, we talked about it, and we're always open to it. I think some of the networks that we were involved with, there was a little bit of, you know, executives go from company to company. Yeah. And so sometimes when, so the person who bought our show at ABC, by the time the show was, it was time for network to make the decision, she was gone. She was over at another company. Oh. So sometimes oh. that, that could have killed the deal, to be honest with you. They leave and, you know, everything's nice and nice on paper, but, you know, I didn't buy that show. I'm not as invested in it. But, no, that happens all the time, actually. But, but I, where did she go? Can she take the show with her there? If they can, if they don't want to do it, well, ABC owned they they own the the rights. But can they can they can you get released from those rights and then she can buy it? Uh, I'm sure. I don't know where she is now. Um, she might still be where she went, but uh, I'm not sure. But um, and there there are things. But you know, another thing, honestly, is the show started to become less um, about what we did originally. So you know, when the network gets involved, they have ultimate creative control. And so it kind of, they, they kind of soften some of the edges and, you know, but here's the thing. And I talk about it in balance. Like I, I needed that loss mm -hmm. because I only knew Jen. I only, can I call you Jen? Is Jen yeah, okay? Of course. Okay. I only knew how to win. I had, you know, the, the church did amazing, you know, you know, two book deals you know, um, television show. I had, I'd done some other work, some smaller things. Did you get the two book deals because of your popularity with the church? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. And this, uh, but by the way, the two other books though, um, did you know TD and Sarah yet? This was not mm -hmm. even yet. This is all before all, all before, of this. All of this is before. Okay. All continue. This. this is what I find. I didn't know yeah. this. Okay. Go on. Um, so I only knew how to win, you know, I, you know, I'm being, you know, interviewed and going to places. I'm, I'm talking to people. Um, the root named me the top 100 influencers in the space. I mean, it was just like, you know, it was happening. Things were going really good. So that was going on. I knew how to win, but I didn't know how to lose. And I realized that sometimes for the sake of development, it's better to lose than to win. Um, because during that time before, you know, so there was a, a bit, there was a, a transaction, a financial transaction mm -hmm. that I was really excited about, an acquisition. Uh, and that deal fell apart. I found out that, you know, people say it's too good to be true. In this case, it was. Uh, and I lost a lot of money, um, earnest upfront money. And then, you know, to quite frankly, the, my legal fees to make them go away and cry uncle. Uh, so I was out of a lot of money. The opportunity was gone. I'm out of a lot of money. This deal, you know, which is, again, my bags are packed. I'm going to New York, baby. We're getting ready to upfronts. We're saying, you know, you know, literally the week we were leaving, Network says no. Um, the community in Denver that, you know, I, I took over. Now, that was my father-in-law's church, and that was 2018. I took that over because the former leader uh, had some missteps, and they were out of a leader. So I, I stepped in, trying to be a good son-in-law. Boy, how have you been married to Sarah for? It'll be uh, eight years this year. Eight years, okay. Yeah. But the show was in 2019. show was in 2019, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you only lost that show like a year, two years ago, oh, three yeah. years ago. Oh, wounds yeah. are fresh. Yeah. Wounds are fresh. Yes. But, but I needed to, I, I, I needed, so the Denver organization not going the way I planned, 
you know, the acquisition falling apart cost me a lot of money and the deal goes away. Uh, the show that I just knew was it, you know, goes away. That was a lot of loss in one period of time. And I started struggling, like, man, do I still have it? You know, I'm, am I still that guy? You know, and, um, but I needed to, I, I needed to know that there's a difference between being, there's a difference between losing and being a loser. And it taught me that. And I just, I just think that there's more value, honestly, sometimes in losing than winning. And I know that that's not a sexy thing to say, but it's true. Like I, to get up again, to trust again, to believe again, you know, I think that you should never waste a perfectly good failure. You know, people look at failure and they're like, man, I'll never try again. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to go a different route. I'm never going to take a risk again. And that's a waste of a failure. I think if you do an autopsy on failure and you get in there and you start moving the spleens around and different things, you'll see things. There's a treasure there that will set you up for the next thing that you're trying to do. So I needed that loss, to be honest with you. And um, and and I've won in other ways since then. And I'm going to win again. And the, the main thing is I'm never going to stop taking risks because... Um, you know, when you start talking about scaling, I know this is a, you know, kind of a business podcast as well. And scaling, obviously, we all want to scale. You can never scale if you don't stretch, if you don't put yourself out there. Absolutely true. So anyway, it was tough, but I'm glad it happened, actually. So how did you, I mean, it's always, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard that it, it's hard that it happened. And you could say now, well, I'm glad it happened because <laughs> you got this and that. I mean, we, what I'd like to ask you more about is you're talking about resilience and getting falling and then getting back up again. So when this happens to people, do you have like, do, do you kind of give people who like follow you? Um, what would you say the first couple steps are mm -hmm. for, for doing that, for yeah. kind of getting yourself back up and to, sh and to not being, a, not quitting? Because actually mm -hmm. what you said, I say a lot is like, you can, being a loser and losing are very, very different. Very different. Um, what actually makes you a winner is getting right back up again mm -hmm. and, and keep on, you know, moving forward. So, what would you say? How how would you tell people in your congregation yeah. that they can do that and get out of their own way to succeed? Uh, first, the first thing I do is give them permission to say "ouch." Like, you know, I'm not that guy that says, man up, dog, you know, you know that, that's not me at all. It hurt. You know, I was, man, I, I was battling like some dark moments. Like, hey, have I lost my thing? Is my, is my season passed? You know, it was, uh, it was a tough time. And I had to be honest with myself that I had been bruised. Because if, if you don't do that, you're going to walk around bruised. You're going to walk around um, perhaps even bitter. You, you're going to walk around with no faith, you know, you, you just kind of, you, you, if you don't acknowledge the fact that it hurt, there's no possibility to get that wound healed. And you're going to be a victim forever until you say, ouch. So the first thing that I would do is say, hey, acknowledge the fact that it hurt. You're disappointed. You're mad at life. You're mad at God. You're mad at whoever's on the other side of it. Just get it out. It's okay to not be okay. That'd be the first step. Uh, then assess it, you know, okay, so is there a lesson in here? I think with every loss, there's a lesson. So what what am I what am I supposed to learn? Like and really, you know, and you hear that all the time. You know, mm -hmm. there's a loss, but but no, really do it. Like there's something. I know it hurt, and maybe it hurts to look at it. So that's why you got to grieve it for a minute. That's fine. Grieving is fine. It's part of the process. But then really get in there with an open mind. Get ego out of the way. You know, stop pointing fingers. Don't blame anybody. What can I learn? from this mistake. 
a study it, do an autopsy on that, 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 that loss, that failure, whatever, look at it and you're going to find something in it. Um, there's an insight there. There's something in that thing. See, it's not all dead. You know, there's something alive in there. So when you did, when, when that show kind of took a nosedive and the, and the Denver thing kind of happened and you lost money, what, when you didn't think you didn't know what was going to be the next opportunity, what has happened to you since then? That's been a really good opportunity that you never oh, even God. saw happen. Oh, goodness. That came from those fail. Like if those things okay. happened, you wouldn't have been able to do X, Y, Z. What was that? At first of all, it was a shift in my mind. A lot of times. So here's the thing. How many people that aren't fundamentally in the entertainment industry sell a television show to one of the major, one of the biggest studios, it's Disney, ABC. First of all, who does that? So I was over here crying and licking my wounds about it not going to series. And we sold a show to ABC. If I didn't do anything else in life, take the you know six billion people on the planet, how many of them have sold a show about their life, mind you, to ABC Studios? Like that can't be taken away from Very me. few. Very few. So with I with Kerry Washington attached. With Kerry Washington, freaking Kerry Washington. Right. You know, well now we're friends and family. You know what I mean? It's like, how does that even happen? So so it shifted my perspective. Teray, you're looking at this wrong. Yeah, it didn't go there, but dude, you played in the game, boy. You know, you didn't go to USC Cinema. You didn't. You don't know anything about that. Well, you know a little bit, but you don't. That's not your space. You don't sell shows. You're not a showrunner. What are you talking about? Right, you know, right, so, right. So it shifted my perspective, and it and it created a resilience in me. And now I'm a beast, and I'm a beast not because. I have all these accolades and I've got things that I'm proud of and I'll, I'll share that with you. But but not because of that. I'm a beast because no matter what comes my way, I don't give a flip. I'm going to overcome Come on, somebody. I'm going to overcome it. You know, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to find the treasure in that trial. You know, what I'm going to be- Okay, tell me the treasure. What have you found? Well, so one perspective. I there, there's, there's a powerful thing about knowing that no matter whatever comes your way, you're going to survive it. That- First of all, that's gold in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Like this, 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 I can't lose, you know, or even if I lose, I, I, I'm never a loser. So that was big. But then this book, like, honestly, like this book balance that I wrote, that's a whole nother subject. It's great. But the process, like I almost, I, I tell people this, I'm going to be very, very vulnerable with you. I tell people this, I almost died writing this book. And you're like, what do you mean? My mom heard me say that once, you know, like publicly. And she called me, man, what do you mean? You're on my diet, right? <laughs> I'm like, mom, chill out, hold on. But what I mean by it is that this book was supposed to come out in October of 2020. And, you know, it, it doesn't come out to, you know, when it comes out. We all know what time, when it comes out. Right. And, um, and it kept getting pushed back. I pushed it back several times. I got halfway through writing it and I stopped and started over. Um, I'm not sure if you, I think you've written a book or whatever, but like. I've written a few books, yeah. So, you know, like halfway, you're like, praise God. Oh you know, God. I just finished my book. My new book is coming out in December. Mm -hmm. First of all, I find the process to be so hard. People oh, yeah. don't understand. It's the most exhausting, stressful experience. It seems like very nice and la-di-da. Terrible. <laughs> oh, it's the hardest thing. So, I found it hard. I mean. And, and, I, and I do too. This was extra hard. This was like. So I get halfway through it and then, you know, my agent reads it and she's like, Torrey, this is not your best. 
And she was right. And she's major. I mean, Jan Miller, she does everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so she does. So you got to like, if Jan tells you that this is not good the, enough, good yeah, enough yeah, yeah. you got it. So I start over from scratch. Now, just imagine getting halfway through a book with the publisher deadline looming and yeah. starting from scratch and you're pushing it back. So, but I did it. And, uh, but during the process, man, I had some dark moments where I felt like, man, you're not good enough. You, again, that, that voice, I call it night, you know, where that voice comes and you're not good enough. You don't have it. What are you doing? You're a loser. You are, a, I mean, loud. And it's like, and I remember this moment I write. I'm only laughing because it's like very, I can totally understand. <laughs> what, I know what you're talking oh about. My, it's the worst. So I'm in my hotel room. I always take, you know, take, you know, several weeks away to write. And I'm in my hotel room and I have this onslaught of thoughts that you're a loser, you can't do this, look at you, you're an embarrassment, you're ashamed, here you got this deal and you can't deliver, and it was just, and you know, I don't think it's uncommon to have to overcome negative thoughts, but this was different. This was like, I was being oppressed by these thoughts, and I'm by myself, and I'm in this hotel room, and I'm panicking, I can't sleep, it's going crazy, and there was a moment that where I realized if I didn't fight back, whatever this onslaught was would have wiped me out. I mean, like if I would have given into that, I understand how people, you know, because you always say, yeah, I never killed myself. Let me tell you something. That gave me just a little bit of a taste of what sustained uh, negative thinking will do if you don't fight back. Right. And I knew that if I didn't fight these thoughts, my life was getting ready to change, not for the better, forever. And so something in me just said, hell no. You know, and I, it, it was just a fortitude. Like it, it just, I just said no. And, and out of that moment, man, my creativity opened up. That's how the character Knight even appears in the book because I had to fight off Knight oh. to write this thing. And so, so all of that, overcoming, you know, these, these setbacks, these losses develop something in me that I think is going to help a lot of people. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. I mean, you okay, let's, let's talk about your book for a sec. Why, we might as well. It's been like five hours, but like, <laughs> it's all good, but you know, cause it's called balance. So what, how would you define, what's your definition of balance? Because yeah. you've had to figure it out through this whole process, right? I've had to. And like you said, you, the process of even writing the book has been, oh, yeah. was very hard because yeah. you're doing a lot of other things also on top of it. Mm -hmm. You must, it's exhausting. So in all of this, how do you define balance? So I used to define balance the way everybody else does. How do I, I've got all these responsibilities. How do I effectively manage these responsibilities and divide myself up so that I can, successfully, be mm -hmm. successful in all these things I'm responsible for. I used to feel that way. I realized that's not what balance is. First of all, it's impossible. I can't go, I can't give Sarah 10% of me and my kids another 10%, my business another percent, and the church and investors. I can't do that. So for me, balance is not dividing yourself up in response to things that you're responsible for. It's becoming all of yourself, becoming your whole self, and then giving your best self to things in sequence. And so I think that balance is really about 
wholeness. I don't think it's a discipline. We've enough books about work-life balance. They're effective, but but that's not what, where it's at because, listen, I've, I tried it. I tried it, Jen. I, I tried, okay, on Friday, I'm going to take my son Isaiah out. You know, Thursday is going to be date night. Yeah, I'm going to spend time with my little girl on this day. And you know what I did because I wasn't balanced? I gave them a crappy version of me. So I did spend the time, you know, I, I could check off the right. time, but what did I give them? I didn't give them my best. I gave them a formula. It's not a formula. It, it balance is about being balanced. It's 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 a journey to becoming your best self through disciplines and steps that I talk about, so that you can do all things well. It, it, you can't. You can do all things well. You just can't do all things well at the same time. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. It's not about like, well, okay, I'm going to spend fifty percent of my time at work, and the other fifty percent I'm going to do at home. It's I, I've never heard anyone describe it like that, but mm. I think that is such a much more of a actually a more uh, realistic way of looking it's at attainable. it. Attainable, yeah. right? Because I don't think anyone truthfully like you can't balance things like a like a seesaw. You know, twenty percent goes to my kids, ten percent goes to my husband, or my, I, so that's a really good. That's a very good explanation. What and I, you talk about this in the book. How do you give us some indications of when someone is out of balance? Oh yeah, there's a few. Um, uh, there's several. That can be a ton. For me, um, stagnation is a sign that I'm imbalanced. I think that when we are balanced, when we're aligned, when we are, are working the disciplines, and we're, we're in our flow, um, there's no such thing as stagnation. You know, you're innovative, you're creative. You know, we're creative beings. We're supposed to always have something to give. Stagnation is a sign. I think that um, weariness is a sign. And there's a difference between being tired and weary. Weary, I describe weariness as the, the gradual gravitational pull down to the tarmac of disaster. You know, like it, just know the disaster is on its way if you right. don't respond to your weariness. Uh, jealousy and envy, to be honest with you. You know, when you're balanced, you have such an affirmation and personal affirmation. Uh, and you're so connected with victory and winning that anytime you see success, you feel connected to it. You're not jealous of it. If you see somebody winning, you're like, yeah, that's what we do, baby. You give a high five. And, and, uh, and so jealousy and envy is part of it. Um, declining thought life. You know, if, if all of a sudden you, you always go to the lowest possible interpretation of a comment, of a conversation, of someone's action. You don't know why they did that, you know, but, but, well, what did you mean when you said that? You know, your thought life declines. So there's several and, um, and you just have to perceive them and not tolerate them. Listen, when I'm off, I, I got to go get balance because I'm not going to be a great husband, not going to be a great, great parent, not going to be a great leader. You know, I'm not going to be a, a strategic business person. And so um, I just, I won't tolerate it. So I'm looking for signs that that show me you're out of balance. You need to do something about it. So how do people get balanced? Like, what's the first step? Like, if, let's say I say, okay, I'm static. You could be stagnating at your career. You could be stagnating because you're just not like feeling productive. Yeah. Um, the wariness is an interesting one because it's like you feel your, you can, it's kind of like what you're, I Think that you're saying it's like you feel yourself declining a little bit right yeah, like you're yeah. not like mm -hmm. you're not like yourself yes um so give us some how first do you step. become yeah. how do you start the process of being balanced love it the first step is no step at all actually the first step is to stop 
That's why people, it's the funniest thing in the world, man. People are like, yeah, I just try to get balance in my life, but what are they doing? They're moving. <laughs> you know, I need balance, but you know, but like you, you telling me you need balance while you got a phone in your hand, you know, you're tweeting over here, you're texting, you're driving to your next meeting. Dude, of course you don't have balance. So the first step is to stop. And I've learned that first of all, it takes, people think it takes more faith to start than stop. I disagree. I think it takes more faith to actually stop, to come to a halt than it does to go forward. You know, I, I you know, I, I think, um, you know, there's this, this biblical concept called Sabbath, you know, that is pretty, I think it's pretty universal. Well, I'm Jewish. Jewish, so, yeah, so you know, right, exactly. Yeah. Sabbath. But you're saying it like, I don't know. Right, well, right. I'm teaching you, yeah, right? You're teaching right. me, but I'm like, exactly. I was <laughs> right. on the cover of the Jewish right, Journal. Right. Were you? Just, yes, I was. No way. Yes. I was in the Jew Jewish Journal years ago. Oh, you were? Yeah, I used Wait, to be on the so board. Wait, grab one on the bottom of the, the, the cups. Nope, not drawer right there. Tell me, I want to know. Yeah, I used to be on the board of an organization called the American Friends of uh, Magin David Adon. It's the ambulance service in Israel. Really? Yeah, so I sat on the board uh, for that, the LA chapter. And uh, and so, you, you know, so I'm very, uh, I love Israel. Uh, I love Jewish people. I love everybody. Well, but, I, I, I like to hear that because I'm right. Israeli. So this was, on the, right. this was like a couple months ago. Oh, come on. And can I tell you something that's Look funny this. about this? Um, for those of, okay, I'm only, I'm only showing this to him because this is people laugh and mock, but I will say that got so much more traction than Forbes, than wow. all these other big biggies because I don't know. I think that like there is something to be said about like being on the cover of like the a, cover. A, that's like a big that's deal. That's major. The Jewish Journal. Are you kidding me? Right. Yeah. That's that's heavy. That's right. If Jerry Seinfeld, it's good enough for Jerry right, Seinfeld. Right. Right. So thank you, Davis Huisa, who's the editor in chief. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like so. The first step is to stop, and I love that that word Sabbath because that that Hebrew word doesn't mean to rest, even though rest is true. It means to stop. It literally means to cease. You know, and no one wants to do that. No one, it's almost like our, our world is so noisy right now. Noisy is normal. Well, it's also all about distraction, distraction right? Mm -hmm. If you stop and you don't have a distraction, then you really have to start focusing on what's the ah, noise, right? Yeah. Which is a lot of times where people do not want to have <laughs> that type of like, stillness and quiet yes. because then they have to look inward and be like, oh my God, this isn't good and this isn't good and that's wrong and right, whatever. Yep. So if you keep yourself busy or distracted, uh, then it's much easier sh in like short-term gratification. Oh yeah. Right. I, I know all about that. I, I, um, I went through a divorce, uh, in 2012 and it was my first time being alone, you know, in 17 years and um were you married for 17 i was married for seven i got married pretty young i was married for 17 years um and she's a wonderful person just not for me right 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 and i got it and uh, you know and so so um i i i was single now right and i don't know anything about that i'm single i'm a pastor you know I, i'm like are you allowed to date? I guess technically you are, right? You were obviously about again, married again. Like we started this, I'm a grown. Grown <laughs> <laughs> ass man, I right, know. Right. But, but I know. Uh, <laughs> it's priests that can't go. I got it. Okay, okay. But a reverend can go out up with people? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it's, I, I mean, again, it depends on your denomination, your, oh, okay. all that kind of stuff. It's it varies. But but what I needed to do after 17 years of marriage is chill. Like, Ture. Chill out. You don't even know what date. What are you doing, dude? You're 40 years. What are you talking about? You're 30, 39, 40 years old. Right. Like, what are you trying to do here? And so, you know, I told myself that I was going to like, you know, 
not date or whatever, and somebody came along, and we start starting to date. How now, did I, you guys meet then? On <sighs> Tinder? Are you guys allowed? To, are you Tinder. allowed to be on Tinder? <laughs> That's hilarious. Pro, I, I'm sure there's some passes on Tinder. Were you um, on Tinder? I wasn't on Tinder. Bumble? No. Match? No, 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 no. Any I didn't know. related like, ones? <laughs> because, well, then I would have had to acknowledge that I was actually yeah. looking. Right? <laughs> Christian Mingle, right? Christian Mingle. Now, I would even, let me tell you something, I, I would not do that. Because okay. I love Christian, but Christians is some crazy people sometimes. <laughs> no, give me, give me somebody. We were dating? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not doing the Christian thing. But um, I am. Um, so I started, I, I had, we had a professional relationship and she- Well, was, how did you meet her? Was she, was she, was she a pastor then? No, no, not at all. Um, she a fashion she, designer? She was in fitness. She was in fitness. And She was uh, in fitness? Yeah. Like, what was she doing in fitness? I didn't know her. What well, was she I, doing? Well, I haven't told you her name, so you might know her, but, uh, but I, I don't know if oh, you would know Oh, I was talking with Sarah. Oh, oh you, no, you're not no. at Sarah. I'm not yeah. at Sarah. Oh, no. Oh, no, we're talking okay, about okay. when you need to be alone oh, to okay, deal with your stuff. Oh, you're not at Sarah yet. Okay, not yet. So, yeah, so you're like having to be alone, and then someone sets you up with this girl? Yeah, well, she, we had a, we had a professional relationship. Was she your trainer? Yes, you're so good. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go Google she, who his yeah, trainer right, was. Yeah. Right. She is my trainer. Where, at a gym or like per, at, a, at a private gym? She, uh, she would come She'd come train me uh, at my place. Okay. So, and then she just, she steps to me one day. Like she, and it, it was so funny. Well, let, me, let me tell you what's funny about it. Like she, she, she was such a Mac and she's a great person, but she was such a Mac because you know, we're having lunch one day and it was just like, you know, we're just having lunch. You know, you're, you're cool. I'm cool. You know, you're training me. And then she like, lunch is over and she's like, so when are we going to stop playing this game? And I'm like, playing a game? Like, I'm not playing a game. Like, I, we're just, and she's like, come on, you know, you're interested in me, you know? And I'm like, okay. You know, because I was so, I was so vulnerable and granted, she's gorgeous. And, okay. and, of and course, fun. you're not hiring a guy trainer. You're hiring a hot girl. Are you not? Yeah, but okay, I, I well, wouldn't do that uh, again. Okay, there you go. Uh, uh, okay, there it is right there. But but it, that that wasn't what she was really good at what she did, mm, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure. But, right. I'm sure she's great. <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. So great. So great. Okay, so then you guys started to date then after she so, yeah, kind of confronted she did, you? She, yeah, and we started to date, which was so stupid. Stupid! It, it just. Because, I take it she's not your trainer anymore. No, though. she's not. Okay. That we we just ended that. Sure. But I, I think the issue is I needed I needed time to myself. But I was I wasn't ready for alone. I wasn't ready for what I might find. Right. In the in the it's scary in the silence and uh, and so that it it didn't go well, you know. And finally, I said, "Look, why are we pretending? This is not right." And I broke it off. And then how long were you dating for? A few months. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't very. I, mean, I guess a few months could be considered a long time, but it, but a few months. Did you find a new trainer? I did find a new trainer. Yeah. I did, and I just yeah. Actually, no, I stopped training and I started just doing what she taught me. Oh, yeah, okay. I didn't. Uh, yeah, Probably safer that way. Yeah, I think so. I was too vulnerable. I was open. I'd never been, you know, uh, by myself, right, you know, alone. since college. And and I think what what's funny is guys sometimes are blinded from the fact that people might want to have a relationship with you. I was so naive. Like I was like, I thought that people were friends. I had one lady tell me, how real can we be on this podcast? Very real. What I do you mean, I, how I, real? I had one lady tell me, and she was actually, oh, this is bad. This is so bad. Good, the better, the better. Bad. Be better the better, uh, or whatever. She basically told me, um, hey, um, I can sleep with you and, and it won't be anything. Like I'll even come to your church, sit in the pews, 
and it won't be anything. And she was like, like, she, and she meant it. Like I, I will. And I'm like, oh, it's real out here. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, you, you didn't know. realize it? No, I didn't know. I, I was in a bubble. Oh my God. I, First of all, can I just tell you something? It's, mm, by the way, girls are worse than guys. I learned. I freaking learned. It was like. Did you really not know this? I did not know because I've been married for 17 years. And in how many of those years? 12 of those years. I was, a, you know, a person of faith. So I was walking this really, you know, pretty yeah. straight path. And I was faithful to my wife and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't. I didn't really, I was shielded. I was shielded. And so probably being married to her was probably a blessing in disguise because it shielded me. Well, but also, I, I would imagine if you're getting to be very popular in that space and you're on, on like a stage and you would have a lot of groupie like girls who would go there or guys also maybe who just had the hots for you. Yeah, but I- It's not like you're like a dog. It's not like you're like a hundred, you know, obese right. old man, <laughs> right? you know, like- yeah, I think I think I was I think I was distracted by my work and and I had to be distracted by my work because my marriage wasn't great. Yeah. You know, so I was really lost in focus and work. Meaning in there. And one thing I wasn't gonna do is violate um the integrity of why somebody's coming to our church. So, you know, I, yeah, I could maybe feel the energy of some people there that are, you know, you know, kind of checking, but I'm like, you can feel that way all you want to. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna You're not play doing into, it. You're yeah, not, not going that. into that. No, that's that's a whole nother thing. I'm 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 afraid of God about stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're. I get that for yeah. sure. So then, how? So how long were you single before then you kind of met Sarah, or just like, you know, did you? How long did you stay kind of by yourself a, after that debacle with the trainer? A little over a year. Oh over wow! Year. And you didn't date anybody for a year. No. After the trainer, there were a couple of other people that were short lived. Um, again, still battling with this, not wanting to be by myself. Yeah. Lonely. Very short lived, and then I got to a place. So I'm like, you know what, man? You're, if you know it's right, why are you entertaining it? And I got to this place where I said, you know what? I'm not going to date anybody until someone shows up that I believe has the capacity, the potential to be my wife. You know, because I want to be married again. You know, you know, marriage is great if you're with the right person. So I stopped and I stopped dating, and I was by myself. And my book was my first book was coming out, so I had a good distraction. And I get a call from one of my, one of my friends. His name is Derek, who works for TD Jakes, and he's like, "Hey, uh, Tere, you know, I've got somebody in town that I want you to meet. She's got a book coming out, and uh, and I just think you should meet her. It's it's Bishop Jake's daughter. Now, I love my father in law. I think he is brilliant. Like he's he's brilliant. He's a blessed man, and all that kind of stuff. But when I consider my father, when I consider my my father in law." And I think about his daughter, all I can do is see him with a dress on. Right. And I don't want to date someone who looks like my father-in-law with a dress on. He's a big, burly, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's, I mean, and that's with all due respect. No, he's like, you know? he's a big man. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. So I wasn't expecting for Sarah to walk to the door. We met at the peninsula in Beverly Hills for lunch. So I'm sitting down, or for breakfast. So I'm sitting down and she walks in and I'm like, what? She's got on like jeans. She's got ripped jeans on. She's got boots, you know, up to her, you know, and she's like, and she's bouncing around and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and I'm like, hi. Yeah. You're know? so confused. Yeah. It was weird. And so we had a phenomenal conversation, a wonderful conversation about life. Our views were very similar about purpose and about what it means to be called now and what the world needs. She wasn't a minister at all. What at was the she time. doing? She was an author. She was a blogger and an author. For what? what, what on what topic? Um, 
her first book was called Lost and Found. So she was kind of telling her story, uh, getting pregnant at 13 years old and having a baby at 14 while being in this high profile family. So she was inspirational, kind of a women's magnet or mm. blogged it well. Was she already, was she well known in that already or not yet? She was known, um, but not well, like in my world, she wasn't known at no, all. No, no, no. But like, was her blog very popular? Oh, her blog it, was popular for so sure. So if she had yeah. a book deal, she must have had some popularity around Popularity, yeah. plus she's Bishop Jake's daughter. Right. So I was going to say, how long, was, how long has he been around, by the way? Oh, God. Um, 20... He's had that, that church in Dallas for 20 years. He's probably been popular for 25 years, like wildly popular for 20 years for sure. Right. So she comes from the, obviously being his daughter, then she's like well known in that, in that space. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's true. Yeah. Being yeah. there. She's young, but, but yes, to your point. Mm, yeah. So well, she, how old is she at this point? She's 25. At this point. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so we meet, you know, we have a great conversation. There was definitely, um, chemistry, but not romantic chemistry. I wasn't looking at her like that because remember my mentality is I'm not touching anybody unless they have wife potential. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, she's younger than me. And so when I had, and I did have a little list to be honest with you about what I wanted to look like. She wasn't in the age bracket, to be honest with you. So there were just things. How old is she now? How old is she's 30, she'll be 34 in July. 30, yeah, yeah, so we got a 15 and a half year age difference. So she, um, so we have a great talk, great breakfast. Um, I told her, I said, you know what? I want you to come and speak at our church. I think my people will love you because you're not churchy. You know, you got on jeans. Like, you know, my people, you're young. You, you kind of get it. You know, the, your messaging is good. I want you to come and speak at my church on Mother's Day. Unbeknownst to me that, that she didn't speak. She wasn't a, a speaker. She didn't, she had never, she had done some talks, but she had never done like a church message at all, ever. I had no idea. And um, so here's the crazy thing about that. I didn't see her that way then. I saw her, I felt like I met her and I felt like the, I felt like I needed to protect her because I knew what it was like in the church world to be kind of like me in that you're not super religious and, and you're popular and you have this charisma and you draw people. And sometimes the church world gets uptight, you know, and you're in Hollywood and they just assume that, that you are whatever they think about us in Hollywood. It's just, it gets weird. And I felt like, man, this girl she's gonna need some protection. And I didn't know, like Bishop Jakes, I knew who he was, but I didn't follow him, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because he's a he's brilliant and I was missing out by not following him, but his style is um, a little different from mine. He's more, you know. Big. Yes, he's yeah. kinda, and, and it's- Dominating. Yes, and so I didn't, I knew who he was, I respect him, how can you not? He's in the faith world, he's massive. So with Sarah, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't, it was almost like my eyes were veiled from seeing her in that way. Yeah. But I did feel like you're probably gonna need some mentorship because I didn't even think, who am I? You know, your dad's Bishop Jakes. But I knew that Bishop Jakes was, he's in a different, it's a different type of thing that he does. He's more in the church world. And I saw Sarah as having more of a pop culture type wow. of grace, similar to mine. So you saw that in her. Oh, for sure. And she for didn't sure. see that. Mm -mm. No. And so you're the one who brought her into the space. Absolutely. So, so fast forward, you know, we exchanged numbers. She tweeted out, she kind of flirted with me in a tweet. She tweeted out, met with Toure Roberts, he's brilliant. I'm like, careful, don't use those words. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then I went to her father's conference in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we kind of, we were texting each other and then she approached me and said, I'm coming to LA in two weeks. Well, didn't she invite you to the conference? Cause you weren't following. No, no, the, the Derek guy, the guy who- Oh, Derek invited yeah, you, he invited. okay, okay. And so we get there and so Sarah, we miraculously end up sitting next to each other on the last day of conference. This is this is really crazy. And um, 
And there was a closing prayer that Bishop Jake said, oh, do, you know, do a closing prayer, grab the hand of the person that's next to you. So I, you know, I just, I take her hand and it was crazy. I felt like, this is gonna sound weird, but we've been talking about intuition. I felt like she was my wife. I felt, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to articulate that now, but what I felt was a familiarity just at the touch. And I'm like, what is this? So the prayer is over. She turns to me and she says, Teray, I'm coming to LA in two weeks and you are gonna take me to dinner. And I'm like, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, and the rest was his dinner was, we shut dinner down. But- Where'd you go for dinner? Where'd you take we her? We went to, well, they, remember the Capitol Grill used to be open right there at the Beverly Center that's closed oh, yeah. now? yeah, my God. Which, was... And I'm hurt because that was, I proposed there, first date was there. Really? Yeah. yeah I used to like that place too. Yeah, it was great. So, um, so we went to the Capitol Grill and, and we talked all night. We both, we both had been divorced. And our perspective on marriage, what marriage should be, why we were in those marriages, so you know, for the time being and what the decisions, the way we thought, what we learned, it was like talking to myself. It was crazy. Really, we, sh we shut the Capitol Grill down, and uh, and we knew pretty quickly that uh, we were each other's person. Uh, but as far as speaking and stuff like that, Sarah wasn't doing it. You know, her coming to one, and then she started. Then I started asking her to pray after the service, so she would do the prayer. And then she started preaching there. So literally one became, even though her father has this major mega church, one became the platform that sprung her out into, wow. you know, and she would tell you, this is not just me. No, no. She, she would, you know. That's amazing. I guess, hold on. No, sorry. Yeah. I thought I was going to sneeze. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Whew, yeah. Allergies. Sorry. <laughs> so that was basically, so then when she first spoke, was she awkward? Was it good? Was it? I think it was good. It, it, she was nervous, but she always has been uh, a woman of substance. You know, I think that she has grown in skill, in comfortability, in communication. Uh, she's more knowledgeable. So she's got more to pull from. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's a beast. Uh, if you ever listen to her, that, that woman, she's my favorite speaker. She's my favorite preacher of all times. You know, I, I mean, even her dad is made in love. But she's got, she's like, this is going to sound funny. She's like, a little bit of me and a little bit of her and a little bit of him and all of herself. And she is fierce. I love to hear her speak. No, she's very good. I've heard, yeah. I mean, I, when she was on the podcast, I, I yeah. told you when, uh, a year ago, yeah. I, I listened to a bunch of her stuff and she's excellent. Yeah, she's uh, amazing. Like, where does it come from? Like, how do you guys even put these things together over so, and over? And because you got to do it every week, right? Every week. Someone asked me, it's funny, it's become so natural that I forgot that it's actually a phenomenon that you can come up with life-changing, literally life-changing content every single week. I think for me, um, it, it comes from a couple of things. One, things that I'm learning recently. I think that in order to be a good communicator and a good minister or, or life coach or whatever you want to call yourself, you're changing people's lives, you have to be, you have to be growing spiritually yourself. And so, you know, you know, there, there are disciplines that I, that I work every day to keep me aligned, to keep me really connected to my spirituality, one. Two, you got to love people, you know. So when I'm like, even when I talk to people or before I get up on the stage to, to speak, I'm turned around and I'm looking at the audience because I want to see them. I want to see you. I want to feel you. I want to I want to look in your eyes. You know, I want to I love you. I, I have to love you in order to be effective. So I need to pause and look at you. And a lot of times it's weird. I can. You know, it's going to sound strange, but I can kind of feel people. I can feel what they're going through and what they need. And really? Yeah, it's really, really 
Uh, that's why I can't write my, I have points, but I can't write my sermon out for word for word because I respond to who's in the room and I respond to how they respond. And so if I say something that really resonates or maybe it's it, it intrigues a person, but you know they need more, then I'll, I'll work three or four analogies until I feel like the room got it and I can move on. And, so, you, and you'll think about them on the fly? Oh yeah, absolutely. 50, at least percent of my message is extemporaneous. Like it's like right there, you know, I'll have a theme of somewhere that I want us to go, but you know, it, it all depends on who's in the room. We used to do multiple services and each service would be different. Although the theme was the same because of whose energy is in the room. And you would do one sermon every Sunday. How many people would show up? So our theater is <laughs> supposed to hold about 800 people, but uh, we learned how to put chairs down and get the lobby going. And so max, it'll max out at about 1,200. And we were doing three services a Sunday before COVID-19 hit. And so- uh, three, three on Sunday. You three three do, on Sunday. Like eight o'clock, 10 o'clock. Yeah, back then it was nine o'clock because it's LA. Ain't nobody coming at eight o'clock. Yeah, you know, but, no, 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 but, exactly. I was going to say, but, by yourself, crickets yeah, will be in the audience. Exactly. Yeah. Good morning, yeah. everyone. All four of you. Um, but uh, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 1 p.m. And then we would do a midweek service. Um, by we, the way, how much is a membership? There, there's no membership. It's free. Yeah. Okay, so how yeah. do you guys make money as a church then? That's a, it's a nonprofit, you it's said. It's a nonprofit, yeah, through donations. And so, so all donation-based. All donation-based. So do you guys can't put around like a, like a bucket to people? We used to, uh, before COVID-19, we, we used to. But yeah, we would pass the bucket around. And uh, yeah, there's no, you, you don't, we just trust that, hey, you see the value of this. Right. Not just for your life, but for what we're doing in the community. You know, practical stuff. Because, yeah, the spiritual stuff is majorly important. We totally get that. But people got practical needs. There's some people that you're never going to, well, I won't say you, who knows. But you never may believe the way I believe. But you still need to eat. You still need, you know, um, you know, job support. Right. You still need all these other things. So, um, and people respond to that. People want to give to organizations that are making a difference. And so. Do most people give when they when the when the bucket goes by? I think by? so. It's hard to tell. So I get you know I get a report. I can't see who's giving what. Right. It's, it's kind of you know. You can anyway. How do you know if it's, if it's going that's around? True. Well, there, you have to. You don't have to. You can if you you can give anonymously. But most people want the tax break. Oh, so does it come around with a piece of paper that says here's? You can tell it. Haven't. Yeah, you can do that. Or now it's all automated, so you can text to give, and you've got a profile set up, so you literally text the number and the amount that you want to give, and it goes to that. And so our on our back end, we have, um, you know, computers that that track who gives what. So at the end of the year, they get their giving statement, and they can deduct those gifts from their tax returns. Oh. But you're but okay. So, but in person, mm -hmm. when the bucket goes by, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no there's no uh, technology, is there? Or nothing. No, there. So if and we, I don't even know. We're starting back. I don't even know if they're going to do buckets. Uh, we're probably still going to be digital. Um, and people give stocks and Bitcoin, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, but, but then they, on digital, how do they do it though? If you're watching, how do they? Know, how do they do it? So though? it's it's a text. So they start off with the. But that's what the text. Okay, so the they, text. So you send them a text first. With a form. Okay. And so that captures their data, you know, their name and address. So we can send out the mailing statement, email address. And so now every time they text, the system already knows. It's them. It's right, them. right, right. And so it tallies up their giving. Um, so interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's like, and all this, none of this stuff I knew about when I started. I just said, look, I want to help people. You know, here it is. Go for it. You and know. how much do people normally give? What's like the going rate? Well, it depends on how much they make. So some people, and I think, I don't, I think in, um, um, in person first. Let's go yeah. in person versus online. I, I, it, it, so there, there are principles, and, I, and I'm pretty sure, I think, 
this is the same in synagogues, but there is a principle called the tithe, which is means a tenth. And so some people who really, really are followers and believe in the church and what we're doing, uh, give a tenth of their increase. Like I literally, every, a 10% ten, ten of everything I make, I give to our church, you know, and that's where I start. And then beyond that, I help all kind of other places. I just... So that's, this is where it's different. So in the so we when you're at a synagogue, typically you have to pay a membership. Okay. Okay. And then also you give donations based on where you are, okay. like in terms of your like economic place in life. Okay. Um, and there are people it's like the eighty twenty rule, you know, like as in life, right? Mm -hmm. You have a very small percentage of people who give like the majority of it. Yeah. But. You know, because it was done, how you guys do it with the bucket. I, and I'm always saying, because I remember when I was at Joel Olsen, the bucket was coming by. And I was yeah. like, what the hell is this bucket What's the bucket, for? right? Yeah, I thought that was only in movies. <laughs> right. I didn't realize it actually happens. And people are taking out money and throwing it in the bucket. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if it was the same. Because if they're coming t uh, weekly, it's different if you just come once in a while. But what yeah. if also, if they're coming weekly, you're giving cash or how much do you normally get in person? Oh, it depends. It, it depends. From like a dollar to... Yeah, people give a dollar, you know, 20 It depends on where they are. Now, and our church is a pretty young church. And so um, young people a lot of times have young money, you know. And so I, I think that we do well and, you know, stay afloat because there are a lot of young people who, who do so. But then you're right. It is the 80-20 rule. There's some people that do very well. And some of them don't, aren't even local. They'll, they'll be either overseas or in another state. And they, you know, they're multimillionaires. And so their tithe is is significant. Well, yeah. So what I think is doing digital is probably way better. I mean, you're making more money digitally, I would only, imagine. Only problem with that is that- You're reaching more people. Yeah. The only problem with that is that people who are only connected digitally don't give as much because well, I don't want to- I don't want to suspect it, but yeah. if the bucket comes, no bucket can come around. Right, and they can't you, see you. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think a lot of people, when they see the bucket, they see other people doing it and they feel guilty if they don't. It's like, it's like peer pressure in exactly. a way. Because I didn't know. And I'm like, oh, I guess people are beside me. They're giving. I better <laughs> give my money too. You know, right. like I, because I didn't, yeah. you don't know, you know, you want to feel inclusive. Yeah. But I was always curious about that because also when people do donation, you make, you tend to make more money. Yeah. Because it's like the mm. psychologically, mm -hmm. when people feel like, well, I'm not paying for a membership. They, again, it's oh, because it's some of the people are feel more. They feel more generous to be giving money mm. because it's yeah. it's that way versus like a finite amount of, a finite so amount of true. money. So true. And then from you know from a business perspective, you know, you would almost want to to be able to quantify if we've got a thousand members. And they're giving a thousand dollars, you know, a month. Then you've got a million dollar budget. So that that obviously would feel more safe, but it doesn't work that way. We we have zero um, zero commitment, and so it's all. And you have to trust that people, you have to trust for sure. But yeah. you have a huge, I mean, congregation. You guys are probably yeah. raking it in. I mean, let's be honest. Not not really, but I'll tell you what. When we did well, uh, COVID helped us. Because yeah. you know, one thing, you're a nonprofit, so literally you're not supposed to be profitable. Isn't that interesting? I know. So Most the, nonprofits though, can make a lot of money, though. Yeah, oh, for sure. Because people are generous and they support. But you're, I'm not saying you're supposed to spend it all. Right. But if you're like a nonprofit and you're just growing and growing and growing and growing, and there's no outgo, outflow yeah. into the community, into the world, that's a little tricky. So, But COVID helped us in that... 
because we couldn't use the facility, our overhead dropped significantly. Right. Our numbers, our, our donations were they, they were pretty flat. I think we jumped. Actually, no, we jumped seven percent. The no seven percent last year. The first year we were pretty flat, but because the overhead was down, it was kind of awesome because we were able to do more. Right. And and went at a time when the world needed more. So instead of putting money into the building and all the the things that go right. into managing the building, we were doing all kind of radical altruistic things, which I think brought the church even to a greater place of prominence. I'm just curious, how many people do what you do in this kind of unconventional way? Is there other people, are, do you have real competition in this way? <laughs> That's funny. Um, so I understand what you mean by competition. It would be- You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally do. But I, just, I want to preface that with in that faith world, even though the faith world can be more competitive than corporate America. Yeah. And let's not even go there. But in that world, you're supposed to not be competing because everybody is a servant of God. And but, um, but with that being said. That being said. So we're just, so that we're clear. Yeah, keeping it at 100. Is, yeah. 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 I think that there are, thank God, I think that there are leaders who are being more open, open, being more authentic, being more relevant. There, there, I'm sorry. There's a guy that I'm thinking of. I think he, he had like a, sermon or something in Beverly Hills at the at a hotel. I think it was- Judah, Judah Smith. Is that his name? Judah, yeah. Yeah, this, well, he was doing something. I think it wasn't, the, it was one of those hotels on Wilshire. And Some, then he's at the Saban, Judah Smith. Is that his name? Yeah, Judah, he's a or, friend of mine. Is yeah. he, okay, so he's a young guy too, yeah? Yeah, Judah's about my age, maybe a couple years younger. Oh, yeah. okay. Are you yeah. sure it's the same guy? I think. I thought this guy was, unless I'm just like so old now that even, uh, I thought he, he, so he was like the, kind of considered to be like the rock star young guy. Could be Judah. And, and he was bringing all these entertainment people and Judah. I was invited to go a few times. Yeah? Yeah, that's Is Judah. That him? Yeah, Judah, Jason Kennedy was there. Him and yes. Jason Kennedy. Yeah, that's Judah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, what is he, how is he different than you? First of all, I love Judah. I think Judah is an incredible human being. I love his broad perspective and bringing people together um, in the faith world. I think that I'm probably a little more raw than Judah. Oh, uh, okay. I think because he is, his father was a pastor and he, they had a massive church in Seattle, Washington. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, 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 and I, I love him. I think that he is dynamic, you know, greatly dynamic. Um, and he has, and there are some similarities in fact, because he, he does draw a lot of entertainment people. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, uh, and I don't want to say but, I'll just say and. I, he's raw, but I'm pretty doggone raw. Right, you know right, I mean? right, right, I'll, right. Like, I, I, I um, so I'm probably, you know, maybe, and maybe that's, that's maybe that's, uh, maybe that's why, maybe that is not a good thing. I don't know. I think he's more, maybe more polished, where I'm a little more. I'm polished, but I also will get to a place that I, I will get gritty to get you. Yeah. You know, if I've got to like, you know, get down there and just tell it like it is, 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 talk about, you know, how I was, you know, promiscuous or, you know, egocentric, you know. Nothing's really off limits, so to speak. I mean, some things are, but not really. If I got to tell you, if I got to show you my scars to really connect with you, I'm going to do it, you know, um, and he probably is too in his own way, um, but but I think I think we have a lot of similarities for sure. Uh, then okay, so what else? I know that you obviously are you're a businessman, yeah, yeah, and you do all this other. What else? Do, how do you step? How do you divide? Not in a balanced divide your time, but yeah. what else are you got? What are you up to? You have the you all obviously have this church. Mm -hmm. uh, you have this book. 
Uh, what else do you do business-wise? Do you have other entities that you do? or I do. Uh, we've got a multimedia company whose okay. and our, our thrust right now is is the music. Um, but the what we did in the production space through Carrie and everything was done through our entertainment company. So we're always looking for, especially because we oh. attract so many young people, we're always looking for shows and concepts that we can um, we can use and and promote and push. So some of the doors that that have opened up to me are in entertainment, and so we're always looking for. So that's that's one. I also have uh, Torre Enterprises is all things book and speaking. So we. I travel and speak, you know, uh, to leadership events, to some business events, and I've got that going too. We also have the tour, the Woman Evolved tour. That's, right, uh, that's Sarah and also myself. under the. Yeah, it's a separate. That's a separate entity. Oh, okay. Women you Evolve know. is a separate entity. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, are you traveling a lot now with with speaking, or is Sarah speaking a lot, or are you guys like tag team? Do you guys go together? What do you- it depends. I mean, we, we both kind of have our separate things. There's some things that make sense for us to do together. Um, yeah, what do you guys do together? What's, where is it? Like, cause under the church, you guys are both under the same YouTube channel? Is it? Yeah, that's under- actually what's crazy. That, that was actually my personal YouTube channel that I built. So even like if you go to it now, it's youtube.com forward slash Torre Roberts. That's you, right. Yeah, and it all just dovetailed in together. But she has her own YouTube channel as well. And it's called Women Evolve. It's called Sarah Jakes Roberts. Oh, it's okay, not Women channel. Evolve. And Women Evolve comes through there, but Women Evolve is an is an entity, and under that entity, uh, what she's a CEO. I'm, I'm, you know, I was the COO. I'm like, I can't do it all. So we hired a COO, and now we're just partners in the entity. Oh wow! But that has so many tentacles. You know, it's it's touring, uh, it's speaking, it's obviously merchandise. There's the store. Um, it's clothing, it's podcasts. It, it it's is you or her. Are you talking about yours or hers? That's, that's hers. Oh, uh, okay. some of those entities we, we share, um, in, but, but that's kind of, but you guys are also your own personalities, right? So yes. like you have your own entity, which is the speaking, the tours, the books, the uh, books. I also have a leadership organization, a leadership development organization. So that's part of the speaking, but it's also separately. Uh, it's a separate entity, separately branded, which is because I'm I'm big on, I love leadership. And uh, I just, I love talking about it. I love entrepreneurship. I love empowering people, particularly people who just didn't grow up around information that helps them in the area of entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I've got that stream as well. But we believe, we believe in multiple streams. Like if you're sitting around, waiting on, you know, right. Forget it. Yeah. You got to make your own opportunities. Absolutely. And so this, I know you're going to, what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask anyway, do you guys ever get competitive with each other because you guys are in the same lane? Well, that's a great question. I think, um, if we do, it it is not spoken. I think that I wouldn't call it competitive because we complement each other so well. And like, because, we're really trying to help people and we only win like helping people to really be effective at helping people. It requires one another's support. Like, I mean, we'll be in there and there's 5,000 people in a room. We ain't got time to be competing, babe. I need you to win. You know, I need, I need you to win this moment, you know, and we'll high five later, but so it's not competition, but it is, um, I, I think I'm a better speaker i'm a better uh marketer because of her you know i think that i think we sharpen each other you know like so right now i'm i'm doing this and she's seeing me at my best because you know i wrote this book um i'm i'm 
doing these interviews, you know, with, you know, great outlets like this one, you know? And so she's seeing me at the top of my game. I'm going to travel, you know, I'm going to New York and a couple of do press there. So I think that it feeds, and she had her turn with, with Woman Evolve yeah, and she's right. here. So I think it feeds, it's not competition because competition is I'm competing against you. And, and some might say that that's healthy, but it, 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 that can become a little carnal. It can become a little right, egotistic. I know and I, it's, it's not in a negative way. It's more of like a healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Competition. Hey, you killed that. Like, wow. I'm going to kill my next thing. Right. I think it's more, it's, it's more like that. Do you guys, and you guys help each other out? Or? Oh yeah. Everything we, we laugh about this, but it's true. When you see one of us, you see both of us. Like literally I, I can, I can feel her in my head right now saying you better. That's the thing. You better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and so, I mean, she recorded some stuff yesterday and I wasn't there, but when you see one, you see both because we're, I mean, we're two peas in a pod, but we're so for each other. Like, that's my best friend in the whole world. Like, people talk about this concept of ball and chain. Like, who are you married to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My woman ain't no ball and chain, man. She's, I, I, I would, I'd spend every day with, I don't, I never get tired of her. That's I a, never that's get tired of her. That's a great place to be. Yeah. That's yeah. a great place. And then are you, is your business, so like you, your business, her business, is there any affiliation with Bishop Jake's then? Or that's just all just in my head? So there's one. So so here's what happened. <clears throat> so I had one church uh, and that was, I built that, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been what it's been for years. It was a mega, quote unquote, mega church when I met Sarah. In fact, that's why Derek wanted to introduce Sarah to me to right. promote her book because here is this mega church in L.A. Um, <clears throat> now, of course, Bishop is would be a giga. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if that's exactly, a mega, yeah, this yeah, would be like a mega, mega church. Did she promote um, her book at his church too, by the way? I'm sure. Yeah, yeah for I'm sure. sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that was, a yeah, uh, he did the foreword and everything on, on her mm. first book. Um, but it was established. So, so then Sarah and I get married, you know, and now Sarah is a part of my church, you know, so she's, it's me and her now, you know, so now instead of one, it's two. Right. And we were just rocking that out and that was great. But the church in Denver, which is one of my father-in-law's churches, the pastor there had a moral failure and they had to ask him to leave the church. So now the church is headless. It has no, uh, no overseer. You know, Bishop is the big dog, but no person on the ground right. to run that church. So being a good son-in-law, I said, you know what? You know, we can do it. I'm not going to let, you know, anything that you're doing fall to the ground. So I'm going to do both. I'm not going to give up LA. I'll move to Denver because it's going to need oversight. Got to build team leadership, you know, lick the wounds, you know, right. heal things up. So I took over that church. Now, it was going to be a little odd to say I'm the pastor of one church or one L.A. and the pastor of Potter's House. L.A., they've been rocking with me since 2004. Yeah. So I can't. So how can I, from a branding perspective, present something that says it's still both? And so what we did was, since that church was called the Potter's House of Denver, which was owned and run and, you know, uh, headed up by Bishop, I said, we're going to make L.A. a Potter's House church, but we're still going to be L.A. We're going to call it the Potter's House at 1 L.A., you know. So it was, you know, at the time, I thought it was a good idea oh, because okay. it makes them feel like, hey, we're just merging into, you know, a bigger situation with him. And, and I just wanted them to feel like I wasn't leaving them. The only problem is, and I realize this now, that one had a lot of equity. I didn't realize that. Like my father-in-law, he had a talk show he did, and he had to come out here to do the talk show. And 
everybody on set, you know, the producers, you know, down to the, you know, craft service people. And they're like, yeah, no, I go to one church. And so he's like, whoa, this church has a massive brand, you know, and, and, and we did. So in hindsight, oh, wow, yeah. in hindsight, and so people still, even to this day, you know, still, even when it was the Potter's house at one LA, we still call it one church. Right. That's how strong the brand was. And it was unique for all those years. So, but I changed it. And I, I, I think it was a mistake, to be honest with you. Um, it wasn't a mistake in my intention to unify and to let my LA people know that I'm still there. But I think, I, I think I, if I had to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have taken that other entity, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, yeah. so when the pandemic hit, Everybody went online. Everybody went online. We we lived in Denver for a year. I moved back because I just couldn't. My family thrived in L.A. Thank God we didn't get rid of our house in Calabasas. Yeah. My our, our family thrived, and I moved back. Started doing Denver remotely, and then when pandemic and when I say remotely, streaming from L.A. into yeah. Denver. And then when the pandemic hit, everybody was virtual. So I took Denver and of course L.A. virtual kept the, our feeding center in Denver open and our local outreach to the community open, but I closed the church and made it digital only. And I decided to close it personally or permanently with the exception of online and local outreach so that I can focus here. Um, when I did that, I brought the name back. And so now it's one, but to honor the Potter's house, there's a little tagline that says a Potter's house church. Mm, so I, so I reclaimed good. one and good. one is, is true to me. Right. You know, it's true to me. I, you know, so anyway. No, I like that. I'm like, oh, I feel like how long have I been talking to you for? Oh, <laughs> I know. This is good. We can do this forever. We, I, I mean, I, I feel like I didn't ask you any real of the questions I had written here, <laughs> but um, getting back to your book, I think I asked you like three questions <laughs> That's about cool. it. That's I cool. asked you about uh, balance and I asked you about how to know if you're in balance, mm -hmm. how to get in balance. Mm -hmm. Did we talk about how to get the in steps. balance, a few steps? Yeah, we talked about the step, step of stopping, quieting the noise, and yep. then we kind of went on the tangent, which are the first two steps. The power of no, we didn't oh, really speak about. We got to talk about Yeah, that. let's We're talk about the power oh. of no. That's, yeah. And then we can like, I can let you out of here eventually. Okay. You can come back again. But cool. like, people yeah. are going to be like, what is going on? This is not Joe Rogan with right, five right. hours. <laughs> um, yeah, so please, like, you talk very much about this in the book, about 90% of your time, you should say no to things. Yeah. Not the opposite around, the yeah. power of no. Yeah. What? What is, what do you, why? Why and yeah. well, why? Yeah, that, that's probably that could be the most important chapter in the book, The Power of No. And the reason why no is important is because yes is expensive. You know, when you say yes to something, and, and it's easy to do because let, let's talk about it. Somebody presents something to you, particularly if it's a a friend, uh, a mentor, somebody you want to work with. You know what I mean? and they present something to you, the easiest, or an opportunity, the easiest thing to do is to say yes. Because why? There's instant gratification with yes. There was no conflict, you're liked, you feel good, there's instant gratification, okay, great, right? But the only thing is it feels good in that moment, but what happens later when something that you really wanna do 
something that you've been working your butt off for, you've been preparing for, you've been praying about, you got all your friends in, that comes up now, you've realized the value of the yes that you gave because now you have to say no to something that matters and then you get busy. And so, uh, you know, I, I am dramatic when I say that you ought to have the 90, 10, no to yes rule. It, it does seem dramatic, right? What 90%, nine out of 10 things, things ought to be saying no to? Absolutely. Now, Here's the caveat. If you are, you have a good structure, good system around you, good staff or whatever, then maybe it's more like 50% because your staff is screening some of the requests mm. that come your way. So maybe you're at 50-50, but the average person who doesn't have, who don't have gatekeepers, don't have anybody around you, you should be saying no because you want to have a healthy amount of yeses available for the just because. When I say yes, I'm committing my time, my energy, my person, and my availability. I'm a limited resource. I can't do that. I'm flattered you're here now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank but you. it's true. No, I'm honored. This yeah. is great. So no is everything um, because yes is expensive. And you know what else I like about no? No qualifies your relationships because some people, the relationship only works because you always say yes. I, you you should just try it. Just like, you know, I always say, let me just throw a no in here and see uh, if they walk away. And you'll be surprised. Some people, if you're offended because I have a boundary and I'm trying to protect myself and I'm trying to, to better myself and I'm trying to level up. And in order to do so, I have to tell you no this one time. If you're offended by that, you're not my friend. My no just qualified the relationship. And yeah. so, so I love no. No is one of my favorite words. Uh, and I've gotten comfortable with it. No is not a cuss word. It's a protection word because I only have a certain amount of yeses and I want to win with my yes. Yeah, no, I like that. Also, yes is like easy, right? It's mm -hmm. always easy to say yes. It's really hard to say no. Yeah. And then how many times do you say yes and you regret it afterwards? Oh and like, you're like, you're upset that you have to do it. It's like all this like regret that you have to do it. <laughs> the only thing I would say though, sometimes when you lead with no, you don't know what what kind of opportunity is on the other end. That's true. Right? So I was, you know, I was someone who always was the no, no, no. Mm. And then um, I thought, hmm, I'm going to open my, 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 my horizons and say yes to mm. every, op like things I would normally not say yes to. And it was amazing what came from that. Huh. Um, so I guess, you know, I, that's what I, but the truth is time is very limited. And mm. so then you over, that's how you really kind of overextend yourself and get super stressed and exhausted. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, no, I talk about loyalty a lot because this is what gets me. And I, I love what you just said mm. because yeah, you can't be so closed that you don't leave a little bit of room right. to be curious and to explore things that you, so I totally get that. Uh, but your whole life can't be curiosity. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? You right, can't, right. But loyalty, this, uh, what used to get me was I'm I'm fiercely loyal. Like if I'm for you, I'm for you. Like I'll I'll go down with you, almost maybe. <laughs> but but loyalty has I think loyalty has limits. You know I think that and the limit to loyalty is when you're so loyal to someone you become disloyal to yourself. And so like I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be loyal to a certain point. But if I have defined my life and I've defined where I want to go and I've defined my boundaries and your interpretation of loyalty is me saying yes, and it violates my own loyalty, mm -hmm. 
that's where the, the, the limit stops. Yeah. No, that yeah. I agree with as well. Yeah. 100%. I guess it depends on what scenario you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. In, so for my yes versus no, it depends. Like, you know, what you're saying, I agree. Because a lot of times you are also saying yes because this obligation or because of a relationship that it's kind of you feel forced to be mm-hmm. doing something. That's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. the worst. And you'll, you'll end up bitter and you'll be mad. And here's the thing. Resentful. Resentful. And, but you'll be resentful at the person. Yeah. Because you didn't honor what you felt. Totally true. You know, and now I'm bitter at you. I'm walking around looking at you funny. You stole, no, you, they didn't steal anything. Right. You gave it to them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's know? true. It's not their fault technically, no. but the resentment goes towards them. It's like a passive aggressive thing that happens because of it. And you know why you're resentful? You're resentful because you gave up something that you don't feel like you can get back. Mm-hmm. You gave up your time, totally. your energy, your effort, your availability. So that's why my that's why I give a lot of no's because my yes is expensive. I'm giving you my availability. I could be I could be doing something else. I can be making my next you know seven figures. One hundred percent. Or you yeah. can honestly just be relaxed, just chilling. Yeah, right. because that also is like a commodity that people. I, I don't know about you, but I don't get very often. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. I don't want to say yes, so I can just like chill and like watch Netflix, oh, right? Oh, I love that. And like, and, and you know, and then like that doesn't happen, then I'm even more of a miserable person. I love that. Right? But That's, it's true. Like, why can't you just say no? Because you just, you need time to like, to like just watch TV and chill out. And that's balance. Like it, it's the white space. Yeah. You know, like when was the last time you planned nothing? Yeah. Like if I get your calendar, if I, if I, you hand me your phone, I look at your calendar, when am I going to see nothing? And, and if, you know, and then what happens is when, when I know I struggle with this, when I see nothing and, and there's some things that I want, what do I do? I start putting stuff in that. Totally true. No, keep the white space. A hundred percent. Especially yeah. when you have like kid, like yeah, small little kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have them also. Yeah. Not as small as mine, but still like between that, the work and this, and then the, like, there's no white space. Right. So you like, that becomes super sacred. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I am big on having time for nothing. And then the unpredictable, you know, and, and here's another thing. I, I don't spend to the full. Here's what I mean. I don't want to go to sleep. If, if I've worked so hard in a day that all I do is walk in the door, fall across the bed, and I haven't ta- even taken off my shoes. Your nice shoes. My nice shoes. I've overspent, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so think like even like a computer, like you, you don't like just close a computer. And, and, and if you just close a computer without shutting it down, you know, it's going to damage the computer. So, so even leave a little bit of room at the end of the day to take a minute to unwind, to totally. process, to reflect, to get grateful, relax. If you drink wine, have a glass of have wine, a sip. have a sip, <laughs> or just a sip, not a sip. A sip. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and, and 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 chill. But most people, they there's there's no space, and they collapse. And you wake up in the morning, and you have to try to figure out where you're at. I, I can't do that. And that rinse and repeat, right? Yes. It's the rinse and repeat. I didn't ask you this, and I have to because this is called you know it's called habits and hustle. Yeah. What is your daily habits? Oh yeah. I want to know your daily routine. Like, yeah. what time you wake up? What do you eat? What, like, what, <laughs> like, give me the day in the life okay. of PT. Okay. As that's, that's I'm going to give it. They, they do. I'm going to give it to you. The there's a chapter that breaks it all the way down, but I'm going to give you the boom, boom, boom. Yeah, give me the boom, boom, boom. So the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I meditate. Before I say, before I greet my wife, before I, I, I greet the world, I greet myself. And so meditation for me is to greet myself. How long? 
uh, typically about half an hour, half an hour to an hour, right? And what time do you wake up? And what's at? happening? Five or six. So uh, it's not a set time, but it's a set window. Uh, what I do in that time is uh, is I, I need to I, I answer three questions in that time. Who am I? Um, what season am I in? And you know what word? What what insight? What guiding word? What word is guiding my life at the moment? Okay. Um, so essentially, it's a mirror because listen, I can only show up in the world according to my perception of self, all right? There's so many things that that try to shape who you are and, you know, so I need to meditate and get still and be reminded of who I am, what's important to me, what matters, what truths are undergirding my sense of stability, you know, who am I, you know, my affirmation, you know, all that sort of stuff. So the reason why I do that before I even greet my wife is because I want the highest version of me to meet my wife, to mm -hmm. greet her. You know what I mean? So that's that's my time. Right. You know, and uh, and typically I'm looking at something, some revelation that has come to me about the season that I'm in, you know, some some revelation that has come to me. My my life is not random. I'm governed by a belief, some sort of belief about this moment that I'm in, what I should be focusing on, what I should be building, you know. And so all of that I established first thing in the morning. Then I greet Sarah. Hey, babe, how you doing? You know, um, you know how, how you feel. You rest well. I want to connect with her because she's my person. She's the most important person in my life, and so I want to make sure that we're 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 linked. We're on the same page. I want to look at you in your eyes. How, what's going on? You know what what are you concerned about? What's your day like? Let's talk about today. Okay, you know because hey, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be encouraging you. Maybe I need to pivot and you know and sit into you know a meeting or whatever. And here's another thing I do. I qualify my day all over again. Just because it's on my calendar doesn't mean it's going to happen. It will probably happen, but I might wake up in the morning, come out of my time of meditation and get a thought, get an idea, get a revelation. And that meeting's not worth my time or it's worth my time, but not this precious time. And I might pivot, you know, it doesn't happen often, but I leave room mm. for that to happen. So meditation, uh, wife, uh, exercise. Uh, so I work out, you know, I try to work out five to six days a week. It's just, it's my body. Let's see, take, I don't have to tell you, take care of your body. Your body's going to take care of you. You've only got one of these things. I love my body. Like me and you, <laughs> baby, I love you so much. Right. Because everything I do, I'm going to do in my body. So I got to honor it. Uh, what kind of workout do you do? I have, I work out at home. I've got a gym at the house. I do, um, I have a, the, it's a rowing machine. I got the rowing machine, but it's the one that's the class on. I can't, I can't think of the name. It's hydro. I've got hydro. I have that too. Oh, I love hydro. I've got the mirror. Oh, uh, I have tonal way better than mirror. Okay. We'll have to talk about that. Yeah. So I've oh, got, we will. so I've got that. I've got the mirror and we've got Peloton treadmill and bike. Uh, so I typically will do either, you know, 15, 20 minutes on the treadmill or rower. And then I'll take a class on the mirror. On the mirror. On the mirror. And, or uh, maybe so, the tonal eventually. But. Yeah, eventually. You might <laughs> uh, and for an hour, you know. So so now it's not crazy, but it's enough to feel like I did something. So you something. do like a, an hour workout? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. Good, and, good. and then I go, um, and then by then Sarah's up. What time are we talking I, I, now? I kid you not. Now we're at about eight. We're about eight. Only at eight? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Okay. And Sarah's up now because she's getting, you know, the, the kids fed because their their school starts at nine. So, and Sarah's amazing. Let me tell you, she cooks me breakfast every day. Egg whites, uh, lox, um, uh, avocado toast, 
every single day. So I literally come out of the do gym. Do the same breakfast every day? Or she switches it oh, up. There's okay, a variety, okay. but that's like the that's going to be forty percent of the time is going to be some variation of that. Okay. Uh, so we um, so I work out. I come in there. You know, I sit. I eat. Uh, check in with the kids. Hey, how's everybody doing? The little ones, I actually pray with my kids, my girls. You know, we have this prayer that we say every day and, and it's amazing. And they they recite it too. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, then they go to school and then uh, I go hit the shower, dressed and I'm off. You know, my office is our guest house is the office. I go in the office and take my meetings. Um, I'll stop and eat, you know, throughout Again? the day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Mid midday. Okay. I, was, I thought, midday. did you see breakfast 40 minutes ago? Yeah. Okay. Knock out my meetings. Uh, I usually, I try to wrap the day about four or five. Uh, I, if I can, I'll sneak in some Touré time. I'm really into motorcycles. I love motorcycles. And where I live, you know, you can ride freely because, you know, canyons and the yes. coast is nearby. So I if hope I, you wear a helmet. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, let me tell you something. Now, I love me. Like people say, be careful. I'm like, hey, bro, trust me. Yeah. Toray loves Toray. <laughs> so I've got all the gear. I mean, you ought to see me. I'm looking like, you know, football player on the motorcycle. And maybe that's not cool. I don't care. I'm right. safe. And exactly. uh, so I'll try to, you know, if I can get a motorcycle ride in, I'll be, even if I just run down to Malibu real quick, 15 minutes and, and get back. Um, let's see. Let's see. So then... Um, then there's, you know, I connect with Sarah. We, we're typically down by five o'clock, uh, checking with the kids. I send everybody a text message. Most days, everybody gets a text, all my older kids. Hey, how you doing? Thinking about you, love you. Here's an article. Hey, they're robbing people right now. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? I send yeah. them to CBS News. They're robbing people. Be careful, you know. And then uh, and then I start winding down. I'm in bed by um, typically nine, 9.30. I'm, I'm either in bed or winding down for bed. I'm staring at the next day. Uh, and then I try to get grateful. I watch a little TV. Uh, love the Bel Air series right now. It's, Are you liking oh, it? I'm digging it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's done. But that we binged on. If you haven't watched Yellowstone, of course I watched. I'm, oh, I'm almost finished it. Oh my Do not God. even start. Don't, oh my don't ruin God. it. I only have four. Don't tell me. I anything. won't tell you anything. I have five. Ep no, I have four episodes left, and I'm done the whole thing. Oh, do my not God. even. I won't do it. I mean, that it's show's just, the most popular show it's that's the ever. Best show ever. It's, by the way, it's, it's it's shocking how popular. It's the most popular show that's ever been on TV. I it's feel amazing. Wait, do you like, what do you like about, okay, this is a whole other conversation. <laughs> so, okay, sorry. Yes, it's yeah, a great yeah, show. Yeah, but yeah. do you love it because of the scenery? Do you love the storylines? Do you oh, think it's just super layered? What it's, you, it's the storyline. It's the character. I can identify with the father who has built something. I totally understand that. Wait, wait, how do people find you if they um, don't know you, who you are? Yeah. PT? I'm all, yeah, I'm on all the, the social media platforms at Torre, T-O-U-R-E, Roberts, uh, thebalancebook.com. All my stuff is there. So, yeah. You've been really, I'm so glad that you came on this podcast. Oh, me too. This is cool. We got to, we got to hang now. Yeah. Now I mean, gotta, I feel like I really know you now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've, we've talked. I mean, this yeah, has been a, right? this is like just two plus hours. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no big deal. Uh, no, this is amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to uh, really promote this book because I think it's very, very, very well done. I oh, like it. It's very you. honest. And I really wish you all the best. All the best with this book. Thank I hope it sells. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm sure it's going to be a big, too. big community. Well, on YouTube alone, you can probably sell a ton of these books. Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you mean on YouTube alone? Like on, through on my you, through my following? Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Your yeah. email list. I mean, yeah. how big is your email list? It's pretty big. It's uh, probably a couple hundred thousand. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people don't. I mean, that is a lot. Yeah. And they are they. How's the open rate? Um, 
it's better than the national average that I know because I, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is. I asked this question recently yeah. and it's, it's, it's pretty, it's in, I think the twenties, 20, 25, 26%, something like that. It's hard. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this and we can talk later, but thank yeah. you for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast. Powered by Habitnest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.